welcome back to episode 16 of the Gladiators Den MMA podcast. In today's episode, we'll revisit everything that went down last week at the fight night, and we'll look ahead to UFC 295 before it heads back to New York City this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of the Gladiators Den MMA podcast. So yeah, before we get into all the good stuff regarding UFC 295, I do want to talk about the fight night that happened last week i know this is coming out a couple of days later than i anticipated but what can you do so yeah first off obviously the main thing the main takeaway from last week's card was the jayton almeida performance now i get it everybody was anticipating a banger everybody was anticipating that you know the ufc knockout record holder going in against a guy that finished almost all of his opponents in the UFC that it was only going to go one way which was going to be an exciting fight and you know we pretty much got the opposite that being said personally I don't have an issue with the game plan that Almeida implemented so if you're not sure or you didn't know beforehand Almeida started his MMA career as a welterweight. He had four fights at welterweight before moving up to middleweight, and then he went on to compete at light heavyweight, where he won you know, a world title in a Brazilian promotion, I believe. And then he kind of went to and fro as a light heavyweight and heavyweight. I mean, his Dana White contender series victory and his debut in the UFC were light heavyweight fights. So he is a small heavyweight. I think he weighed in at like 230-something. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, just above the limit. And that means that if he was to cut down to light heavyweight, he probably wouldn't even be cutting the most weight in that division. So he can easily fight in at light heavyweight. So the fact that he's fighting one of, if not the biggest puncher in the heavyweight division, it's pretty wise to, you know wrestle this guy not stand and bang with him it's not worth the risk we saw what he did to Curtis Blades right another extremely good wrestler so the fact that he turned and wrestled and got five rounds under his belt I don't I think you know there's definitely some positives to take away his wrestling looked incredible his shots where he was ducking underneath um Lewis's punches and then shooting double legs insanely fast his transitions into different positions when he was on the ground for a heavyweight insane the only issue is is he looked really tired i mean at one point when i was watching it i was thinking lewis looks the fresher fighter which was you know in the third fourth round which is pretty strange so again it's good it's a good experience for him to get five rounds you know good test of the gas tank i did feel like he was he did look you know, really tired. But the main issue I had with it was he wasn't busy enough on top. I feel like the referee definitely could have stood them up and broke it up a few more times. Now, I'm not saying he didn't because they was in Brazil, it's his home crowd, whatever. But, you know, that is worth considering. Yeah, I definitely think that he could have been busier on the ground. But he's still, you know... He's still a very small heavyweight, you have to remember. I feel like, specifically against Lewis, you've seen how he just has this 
you know, unusual ability to just stand up when he's on the ground. So I, again, this is personal. I personally feel he didn't want to overextend in any way that would allow Lewis to just stand up and then the fight again would be on the feet. So as a performance, I think it was okay. I think there's a lot of good signs. Entertaining wise, terrible. I mean, I was falling asleep watching it, genuinely. So, I'm interested to see where this goes because, you know, all this hype. It's just, sorry, I keep getting distracted, man. But it's crazy how all this hype, right, going into this fight, has suddenly just been lost off after one boring performance. Where he dominated this guy for... Was it 21 minutes control time, which was like the highest ever as a heavyweight and like the third or fourth best ever in the UFC? So to say it wasn't a dominant performance would just be in incorrect. So yeah, I definitely feel like Almeida showed some good signs. I feel like as a smaller heavyweight, wrestling performances are fine. Now, if we put him against a good wrestler like Curtis Blades... Is he going to be able to have that much success as a smaller guy? Is that when, you know, he relies on his hands a bit more? Because he does have, I think, like seven knockouts in his career. He's been, he was a boxer before any of, before he trained any other discipline. I think he started boxing at six years old. So, yeah, it's not like he can't strike. Um, I feel like, Specifically against Lewis, this was his game plan. He didn't want to overextend on the ground and, you know, give Lewis any any inch to, you know, stand up. And I don't think he wanted to trade with him in case he got caught. So I feel he was just playing it safe. And it worked. It was effective. It was just boring. I think, I guess, against bigger guys, you know, think about him now against Pavlovich, Curtis Blades, even Tai Tuivasa. I'm just thinking, you know, really big, heavy guys. Uh, Will he have the same success? Volkov. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to see. It's hard to, it's hard to, you know, to know the answer after just that one performance. I definitely do think he has the ability to be very successful as both a light heavyweight and heavyweight. Yeah. I mean, think about this weekend, right? Prohaska versus Pereira. Say Pereira, uh, Alex Pereira wins, right? It's not, you know, unthinkable. Then you put Almeida in against Pereira, who we know has difficulty against wrestlers. You could easily see him being light heavyweight champion, right? So, yeah. I'm interested to see what happens. I think the hate that Almeida's been getting is pretty uncalled for. But yeah. Moving on to the co-main event from last week, we had the Brazilian killer, Nicholas Dalby, at 39 years old, coming in strong, ending the hype of Gabriel Bonfim. Now, I say ending the hype, I'm still big on him. I think Bonfim is a fucking amazing fighter. I think he's going to bounce back. I just feel like he, he just gassed himself out too quickly because he was winning that fight up until he wasn't. Nicholas Dalby's never been finished. He is, you know, he's a tough vet, even at 39, as we saw. 
I feel like Bonfirm maybe a little bit of an experience, maybe a little bit overexcited in front of the home crowd. Uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed watching the fight. Absolute banger of a fight. Um, Dalby, I think now is on like a four or five win streak. So yeah, give him, give him someone. Uh, I was gonna say ranked. Yeah, give him someone ranked next. Why not? Um, I'm I'm going through these quickly. I know I'm on a bit of a tight schedule here. Uh, one of the fights that I genuinely was disappointed in, and I don't say that often because if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I'll find something positive to say. I, I'm i huge on um, Kyle Barello. Now, his fight with Magomedov just seemed like a sparring session. The fact that they were like touching gloves every five seconds, even when he had his back, yeah, I didn't like that. I was, the fight was just kind of, just didn't quite do it for me. I feel like this this whole card was a little bit of a letdown. I had really high hopes for it. I was expecting a lot of bangers, and there's a lot of fighters on there that I was looking forward to to watching. And uh, just didn't quite live up to the hype. I don't think this was one of the fights, maybe the fight that I was looking the most forward to. Now I'm glad that Barello got the win. I think he has the second longest win streak in the middleweight division outside of Duplessis, who we now know is going to be fighting for the title next, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, yeah, he definitely deserves to be in the rankings, which I don't think he is yet, which is fucking insane. He needs a... So think about Strickland, right? Strickland beat Magomedov on short notice, and then I'm almost certain his next fight was for the title, right? I know he came in as a replacement, but... So if if that's the case, then, you know, Barrello should definitely get a top 10 guy, next top 15 guy, at the very least, in his next fight. But yeah, that fight just sucked. I mean, I was expecting it to be a lot more... I, I liked the fact that he fought out of Southpaw and kind of threw Magomedov off. He had a good game plan, but there just didn't seem to be any intensity from either side throughout that fight. So, yeah, that kind of pissed me off. Uh, Elvis Brenner, I mean, this guy's a, a gem, right? He he came in uh, on his UFC debut as an underdog and then won a dubious decision, which could have gone either way. Then he was fighting the... I forget who was he fighting. Tukugov, I think he fought in his debut. And then he fought Garam in his second fight where he got the knockout in the third round. And Garam was a massive favourite. Elvis Brenner was beat up. And then he gets the insane walk-off KO in this fight. So Elvis Brenner has come to fight, man. He's really making a statement in the UFC. Fucking, yeah, entertaining fighter, young guy. He's like 16, 16 and 3 now, I think. I think he's 26, right? 26, something like that. Yeah, young guy. Fucking keep an eye out, man. He's definitely, definitely one to watch. Uh, what else happened in that? Was there anything else going on in that fight? In that uh, card? Anything interesting? Who was on the prelims? I mean... Angela Hill got the win. I mean, she just seems to win when you don't expect her to and then lose when you expect her to win. Um, Bukaskas got absolutely slept. I mean, Victor Petrino looked pretty fucking good, right? And then... Um, Mark Diakasi 
I, I've butchered his name again, of course. Uh, Diak, yeah, you know what I mean. It was a bit of a gritty win. I mean, again, a bit of a boring fight, but good game plan. Good, solid win. Okay, so that was last week's card. I mean, I'm probably, it's obviously a bit late to be talking about it now because obviously it's been almost two weeks, but obviously the Francis Ngannou performance against Tyson Fury... I didn't even bother mentioning it on any of my previous podcasts because I wanted to avoid talking about boxing. Now, I mean, if you go back, maybe I have done once or twice because I did want to have this to be strictly an MMA podcast. But that being said, Francis Ngannou is an MMA fighter and what he did was insane. So the reason I didn't say anything about it before the fight was because the reason I've just stated and I genuinely believed that Tyson Fury was just going to toy with him. I didn't give him a chance in hell to do anything. I didn't even watch the fight because I was out busy. I woke up in the morning and then uh, googled the results. I remember I woke up at a friend's house and my phone had was, wasn't turning on so I borrowed somebody's phone and I googled Engano Fury and the first image that came up was the one where he'd been dropped. And I remember thinking, like, am I still drunk? Am I, have I not woken up properly? There was like a split second where I was like, this isn't real. And then I was reading, he lost the split decision, which, don't forget, a split decision loss means that one of those judges thought he won the fight. One of those judges genuinely believed that he beat the lineal heavyweight champion. So to come in and do that on your first ever professional boxing fight, Bearing in mind, the only reason it wasn't for the titles is because he'd never had a professional fight. The WBC or whatever champion uh, Fury is, they wouldn't allow somebody to fight without being in the rankings, you know, without any kind of record in boxing. So even though it was a professional bout, they weren't really fighting for, you know, much other than the spectacle of actually fighting. I'm glad it wasn't a exhibition because it gave that little bit of extra excitement but yeah a split decision loss is a huge win for Fury and watching it back I am on the side that it could have been a draw maybe leaning towards Fury I understand that Engano came on late and won the last two rounds but outside of the Second, I think is that when he dropped him? The round he dropped him and then the two rounds at the end are the rounds that I gave him, which I think still gives it to Fiori 6-4. But uh, maybe a draw, I don't know. I, again, I didn't I didn't watch it live. I rewatched it pretty quickly in, in a car ride. But it was way closer than anyone thought. And obviously Nganu got a fucking bag of money for doing it, like 10 million minimum or something. Now his stock has just skyrocketed so people that didn't know him beforehand now know him but he has the potential to have a boxing fight against these other huge names in boxing these Deontay Wilders these Anthony Joshua's people like that a rematch with Fury so his stock has just incredibly gone you know through the roof and the PFL he's still signed to the PFL so what a move by them to sign him Whatever they paid him is clearly paying off now back in dividends. So, yeah, I mean, fucking what a move from Ngannou. So, yeah, that was why I didn't mention it. I'll 
quickly go over it. And now we can go into the nitty gritty of this weekend's card. I am super excited for this. There is some great fights. There's some great fights on the prelims of this. Um, the first fight that I think jumps out at me is the John Castada versus Kang Kyung Ho, which should be a banger. I mean, Kang Kyung Ho is a is a vet, right? He has quite a lot of submission finishes in the UFC. He is on, I believe, a two-fight win streak. He got the very quick submission in his last fight at when Vittori fought Kananir. I forget who his opponent was. But that fight will be pretty entertaining. Then the Mark Madsen is back against Jared Gordon. Now, Mark Madsen, I believe, lost his last fight against Grant Dawson. But prior to that, he was 12-0. and And he's an incredible wrestler. He's just getting old. So it'd be interesting to see how he holds up. I believe he's like 39 or 40. Uh, Jared Gordon, obviously, is coming back for the first time since the uh, Bobby Green incident where with the no contest with the clash of heads. So I'm just interested. I don't know if that will be an entertaining fight. I'm just very interested to see how it plays out. There is on the prelims as well. There is uh, Roosevelt Roberts has been re-signed and he's going to be fighting against, uh, was it Mateus Rebecca, Rebecca, I think it was. If I think it was. I know someone dropped out. I can't remember if it was Rebecca or his, or his opponent. But yeah, Roosevelt did well on the uh, Ultimate Fighter. Didn't quite get the win. He was in the UFC when he was very young. He's still only like 29, 30 years old. Decent record, long rangey guy for the lightweight division. Got really good quick hands. Should be a good fight. Uh, Tabitha Ricky's back. Um, who's the who's the prelim, uh, I guess, prelim main event, if you want to call it? Steve Urker, that's right. Steve Urker and Alexander Costa. That's a banger of a fight. Two young guys, both got great records. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a good fight actually. My, I'm going with Steve Urkic on that one. And then the main event is minus the Mackenzie Dern fight. Uh, is just bangers. So Diego Lopez, entertaining fighter, obviously did really well against Emilyov again in his uh in his debut on short notice, which nobody expected. Then got the incredible armbar submission where he jumped for the flying triangle in his last fight and then he's fighting uh pat sabatini who i think has like 11 submission victories out of his 18 five and one in the ufc that's that's an interesting fight because we've seen that uh lopez will happily fight from his back and he's happy to to you know give up mount and Pat Sabatini is really good in mount position so if he allows him to do that he can be dangerous but often enough when you see two grapplers go at it then the fight tends to be a striking fight which I believe Sabatini has a bit of a questionable chin so Lopez could have the advantage on the feet so I'm going for the outside prediction and I think Lopez is going to get the KO then speaking of KOs we have Matt Frivola versus Benoit St. Denis. Now, 
St. Dennis has 12 wins, 12 finishes. Matt Favola, I think, has seven finishes out of his 11 fights. Uh, his last three victories all knockout in the first round in the UFC. This fight is one of those fights where you don't want to blink. Uh, I do think Benoit St. Dennis is going to get the victory, unfortunately. I love Matt Favola. I think he's a great fighter. Very entertaining character as well. But I just think that, you know, his balls to the wall, firefighting style that he brought against Drew Dober is just not going to end well against St. Dennis. I think St. Dennis has in his back pocket as well the fact that he can grapple really well and he's got good submissions. So I'm going with the outsider prediction of St. Dennis by submission pretty early. Then we have Mackenzie Dern versus Jessica Andrade. Mackenzie Dern is looking to get back-to-back victories. She's openly talked about wanting you know, a title shot, a fight against a, a former champion, puts it in that right direction. Andrade has lost three times for the first time in her whole career. She's been finished each time. Mackenzie Dern has, you know, an abundance of jiu-jitsu accolades to her name prior to transitioning to MMA. So I think she is not going to try and stand with Andrade because she's got pretty heavy hands. And I think she gets the submission. Then we get Pavlovich and Aspinall. And I mean, just listen to these fights. I mean, how can you not be excited for this weekend? Pavlovich versus Aspinall, in my opinion, is arguably more exciting than John Jones versus Miocic, uh, only because I think it's just it's just a dynamite of a fight. You don't know what's going to happen. Pavlovich has the second shortest average time currently in the UFC because he's just finished everybody in the first round, and the only person who has a quicker average time in the octagon is Tom Aspinall I think I don't know it's something like two or three minutes it's something fucking ridiculous and for heavyweights they're both super quick they're both super powerful uh I think it's hard to say I saw Tom Aspinall say in an interview it's hard to see what Pavlovich is not good at because he doesn't have any footage because he just finishes everyone so quickly so the only thing we can do is use the footage we do have which is when he fought Overeem, and, you know, Overeem was pretty dominant from the top. So, I think if Pavlovich comes out swinging like usual, I do think he has, I think I said this last time, right, on my last episode, I think he has the power and speed advantage against Aspinall. In terms of, you know, strikes, I think Aspinall has the speed advantage in terms of movement. So, I think... To stand and trade is obviously not going to ever be a good idea. It's like saying, I'm going to stand and trade with Nganu. You're just going to come up short. But if you're going to stand and, you know, strike, I think Aspinall is able to get in and out quickly enough to, to be effective. Although, that being said, I think his, you know, his best way and the most intelligent way to victory is to, is to grapple, go for the takedown. But easier said than done. I mean... Again, Pavlovich was the designated backup fighter for the original main event, meaning that he's been in camp, he's ready. And Aspinall took this fight on two weeks' notice. Which I hope, you know, I've, I've spoke about this in my last episode, I don't want to just, you know, be repeating myself, but it shouldn't be an issue if the fight's only one round, you know what I mean? 
even though it's scheduled for five because it's the interim title, hopefully it only goes one. And you know what? Scratch that. I actually want it to go five rounds because I would like to see both fighters in deep waters. But yeah, it's for the interim title, which is bollocks because, like I said on my last episode, that insinuates that the next fight they will have will be when the heavyweight champion returns, which when the heavyweight champion returns, the you know general consensus is that he's going to fight Miocic. So I firmly believe that it's going to be at some point promoted to the, to the actual championship. I think, I still believe Jones and Miocic are both going to retire. Because Aspinall said, I think in, in in one of his recent interviews or something, that he was under the impression that it was going to be a double retirement fight anyway. But, uh, yeah, so, moving on to the main event, we have the, the fight of the two Warriors. Alex Pereira is looking to become a two-weight champion, which, of course, has only ever been done successfully eight times uh can i rename okay i'm gonna try and name it off the top of my head obviously mcgregor amanda nunez henry cejudo bj penn uh john jones down cormier randy couture and is that seven gsp fucking i think that's right yeah eight yeah so he's looking to become the ninth person to do it i think I can't remember exactly how many people have tried. In most recent history, um, Shevchenko tried, uh, Rafael Dasanyos tried, Volkanovski, Pettis, Holloway, uh, Aldo tried at 135. Adesanya tried. Uh, can't remember. But yeah, so... Um, yeah, he is looking to become the a two-way division champion in his 11th professional MMA fight. That is insane. He's only had, you know, a handful of fights in the UFC. Obviously, he has an extensive kickboxing record, so he, it's not like it's a complete amateur. But the fact he's only had a... This is his 11th professional fight... And in the last year, he's won the middleweight title, lost the middleweight title, and then beat the guy, the only other guy to beat Israel Adesanya prior to Sean Strickland. So, I mean, he's just had such a whirlwind of a career, and I fucking love that guy. He's one of my favourite fighters at the moment. But, no easy feat. I mean, Jiri Prohashka is one of the most dangerous uh I was gonna say light heavyweights but he's just one of the most dangerous UFC fighters currently. I mean I know he had an extensive record prior to the UFC so it's kinda hard to know if it's a padded record or not. But thirteen fight win streak, thirteen finishes is impressive no matter where you do it. Uh the only question mark is both guys' cardios. I know Prohashka went almost five rounds with um, Glover in his last fight, but
but he did look really tired towards the end. And the way he fights, he exerts so much energy with these really big movements. And same with Pereira. He looked really tired before he uh, finished Adesanya in the fifth in their first fight. But, like I just said, they both seem really tired, but they both got finishes. So, if they find a way to get it done, what does it matter? Uh, yeah, so... Jerry Rajka is obviously really dangerous. The way he fights with his hands down does leave himself open, which works really well for Alex because, as we know, he has the deadly left hook. He has really good kicks, especially his leg kicks, his calf kicks. But I feel like Pereira is not the most best. Is not the, is not the most, uh, technically defensively sound. I know that sentence didn't make sense, but, you know, work it out. He's not the best defensively. He is amazingly with amazing with his offense, but he is kind of slow and he does kind of move slow. He just kind of walks you down, bobs a little bit. He doesn't have much head movement. So both guys are definitely hittable. And I think both guys have, you know, incredibly incredible knockout power. So this is, again, like the Frivola fight. It's one of those fights where you don't want to blink because something could happen and something could change. Now, we saw Pereira rocked in his first fight with Adesanya and we saw him get his lights absolutely shut out in his last fight with Adesanya. So I feel like the fact that he went three rounds with uh, Blahovic in his last fight will be you know, great for his uh, confidence. Because if he can take, you know, he took a lot of hits from Pulahovic. I think that'll give him confidence after the knockout. And tough one to call. I'm I'm going with my heart rather than my head. I'm going with uh, Pereira knockout. But I don't want to think about it too much. Because if I do, I think, you know, logically that um, perhaps go wins. Uh, before we finish up, there is the new fights that have just been announced I want to quickly talk about, which is the Strickland versus Duplessis at UFC 297, Volkanovski versus Topuria at 298, and O'Malley versus Vera 2 at 299. Now, amazing fights. Sean Strickland versus Duplessis is interesting because obviously Duplessis dropped out and Strickland was the guy that took his place to fight for the title. And there was kind of a bit of a bad blood, bit of slating from Dana in the press about Duplessis. So I wasn't sure if he was going to get the title shot next. And I think Strickland is an easier fight for Duplessis. I think Duplessis, his pressure, he... Now I'm thinking about it, I don't think it's a... Because Strickland has such underrated um, takedown defense. I just feel like... I don't know. This is a good fight because both fighters are so unorthodox. Yeah, I'm stumped actually. I, I don't know who wins that. Because obviously you just think back to Strickland's last performance. It was immaculate. I mean... And then you think back to Duplessis's last performance. That was immaculate when he finished Robert Whitaker. Nobody finishes Whitaker in the way that he did. So, yeah, that's a good fight. I mean, an interesting fact is the first time, this will be the first time in over six years that a middleweight 
title fight hasn't involved Adesanya. And the last fight that it was, was GSP versus Bisping. Because obviously after that fight, they both retired and then, yeah. So UFC, because obviously you've got to remember Whitaker versus Romero too wasn't for the title. So yeah, um, and then we have the Taporier Volkanovski fight, which I think I'm I, personally I'm a little bit happy it's been pushed back. It's not going to be January; it's going to be February now. I think just that extra month to recover, some extra month for you know Volk to be training. I said last time before he fought Makayev, uh, Mach, Machayev, Makayev. Oh fuck! I'm my brain is toast today. Bear with me. I'm sorry. Uh, his last fight against Islam, I said. He's at the age now where we would assume he's going to start showing signs of slowing down. He's going to show signs of aging. <clears throat> it's hard to judge his last performance off that because he's been caught with that kick in his multiple times. He got caught with that kick by Max Holloway. He got caught with kicks similar to that in his first fight with Islam. He, you know, this was just a, this one was just flush. I feel like this fight is the test now. Because Taporier is a young, hungry, very well, you know, versatile, all-round fighter. And after the most recent loss, I think Volkanovski is going to be, you know, hungrier than ever. He is very good at adapting game plans. So this is the true test to see where he's still at. Is he still at the peak of his, you know, performance levels? And then obviously we have the uh, the fact that Taporia is just getting better every time we see him. His boxing is insane. His ground game is insane. His jiu-jitsu is insane. So I don't know where the fight... I don't know who has the... I don't know who has the advantage and I don't know where they have it. So I'd be interested to see what the odds are. I've not checked what the bookmakers have it have. I would assume they have Volkanovski as a slight favourite, but it's got to be close. And then obviously O'Malley versus uh, Vera. It's just kind of funny that Vera gets the the green light based on, you know, their history rather than um, Marab getting the title shot. I think Marab getting the, not getting the title shot is criminal, honestly. Um, I did see that a tweet today, I can't remember who it was by, so don't quote me, it might not be a reputable source, but I saw that Marab and uh, Cejudo might be on that card, so Marab can be the backup fighter, so that'll be pretty cool if true, because then that usually points towards who's going to be next in line. But yeah, that's everything for today. Uh, like I said, on a bit of a time constraint, so I'm going to call it here. And I'll be back for another episode after UFC 295, hopefully a bit earlier in the week. Uh, If you've managed to stick with me to the end, thank you for listening and see you next week.